BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Everybody... I've known this person in my mind for about 15 years. It was the first bounce concert I have ever been to in my life, and it won't be the last. So I'm so excited for you guys to meet the queen of bounce, the queen of the South, the queen of everything. Please welcome Big Frida to Just a Sip, everybody. Hi, everybody. I have to be honest. I'm 34 years old. The first time I ever saw you in concert was at Republic in New Orleans. I snuck in at 14 years old, and I was amazed at what a performance you put on. But for people who don't know out there, what is bounce music? For me, um, bounce music is up-tempo. It's heavy bass call and respond type music. It's based out of New Orleans. You know, it's a feel-good music. It's a party music. You know, when you put on anything bounce, the party atmosphere definitely will change. It will definitely change. And I, you know, I roll with a lot of white women and I love to bring them to a Big Frida concert. And they try to dress cute. And I'm like, look, if you guys don't sweat when you're there, you're not, you're not getting the whole experience. So if I were you, I'd wear flats. Something comfortable, you know, some tights, some booty shorts, something where the body definitely can move. You need something where you're flexible. There's a few moments I want you to take me to, but the first, everybody has heard that first eight count in formation. What was it like when you got that phone call from motherfucking Beyonce? First of all, it was unbelievable that, you know, my publicist called and said that Beyonce wanted your number. I was like, well, girl, why are you still on the phone? Right. Sitting at home waiting for the phone call was a little nerve wracking because I was like, is she going to call now? Is she going to call later? You know, so I'm about by my phone, like just glued to the phone. And when she finally called, she said, hi, you know, you know who this is? And I'm like, yeah. (laughs) And I died at home and then came back to life. But I was really excited about the phone call. She said she wanted me to, you know, talk some New Orleans on her track and that's exactly what I did. They sent me a very small snippet of the track and me and my DJ, we went to the studio, we looped and you know, I talked on it, then we sent it back and she was like, oh my God, this is perfect, I love it. So I talked to her twice, it was it was unbelievable though. <laughs> What's it like, because look, I grew up in Lafayette and I know growing up in New Orleans is rough. I know there are one of three ways of getting out, it's if you play football, if you play a sport, or if you are a rapper and, you know, Lil Wayne, you know, digs you out or baby digs you out of of right. 50,000 other rappers in New Orleans. 
what was it like being part of that niche community and never knowing if it would become mainstream? Because bounce music doesn't necessarily become mainstream overnight. Right. It definitely did not become mainstream overnight and it still hasn't reached its height yet that it can go. You know, it's just been a journey of, you know, being consistent, hard work and dedication to our craft. And we love it and we do it for the people and for the culture of New Orleans. So it really doesn't matter about being mainstream. You know, now that I have took it to countries and states and cities far around the world that became more mainstream and, and, and visible to the world. You know, now our people here in New Orleans, all the different artists are really working harder to continue to make their music grow. And um, I think they saw my hustle and my grind. And, you know, it has been knocking some doors down and pushing some boundaries and pushing the barriers, you know. When was that first moment for you where you felt like, maybe I made it. Maybe I am more than performing on Bourbon Street or performing for, you know, the same crowds in New Orleans. What was that moment for you when you felt like you were on the road to becoming something bigger? When I went to New York uh, in 2010 and uh, I did five shows in New York. And once I hit the New York Times, I knew that my career was changing big. I never looked back and I kept pushing forward. And I was just like, now it's time to put like go mode. Put on. the pedal. Yes. I was decorating one day and, you know, I have a little decorating company that I was doing. You know, I've been doing about the same yeah. time, rapping. And I was decorating one day and pulling some fabric out of the car when I got back from uh, New York doing those five shows and two white guys was, was jogging up the street and it was like, oh my God, you're a big freedom. And I'm like, oh my God, how you know that? <laughs> Damn. So I knew then that my career was changing. I watched your TV show. It was gold. And it was interesting because people didn't understand, you know, why so much rehearsal, rehearsal, why so much pressure on the dancers. And I tried to explain to them because when she goes on stage, when Big Frida hits the stage, when any bounce musician hits the stage, it's not just about the music. It's about the experience. How and why did you push your dancers and your crew so hard? Yes, and I pushed them so hard because to separate myself and keep being the queen that I am, I have to push the boundaries and I have to set the bar high. And that's what I did. And, you know, just having a team of people, a team of dancers, no other artists in the bounce game was doing what I was doing. And they wasn't creating those moments for their fans and that atmosphere on stage. And when you, you know, when I'm on stage, everything got to be on point. You can't play around. Yeah, It's like, okay, we have fun while we up there and we, we know, you know, as a family when we're up there, but when it's time to get down to the get down, you got to get down. Right? No, you got to get down. And you have to show out if you're showing out in front of people, you know. We just was learning new ways to keep showing out. You know what I'm saying? And incorporating other stuff into the moves and into the bounce field and, you know, expanding my brand, expanding my music, my sound, my dancing skills. You don't want to keep giving the fans the same thing. Is there a beat? Like, is there like, you know, the like, you know, Nikki and Cardi moments and you have the rappers that have the beefs. Is there ever any beefs in bounce music? All all the time. Them hoes so messy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of beef in the bounce game. 
at one time we used to have um this you know thing going on or called battle of the sissies and so it was yes. all the gay rappers and all of us was like in competition and beefing amongst each other and i was always the girl who tried to be the mediator for all of them and let them know we can do this bigger than you know what y'all are doing it's not about the mess and fighting and disliking each other or hating on the next girl we all could do it so i kind of stayed in the backfield when all of that was going on and they were still beefing with each other. And that's how I kind of just kept leading the race. I don't like too much drama. You know, if, if somebody steps to me with it, I can bring it, but I don't want drama in my life and in my career when I'm trying to make moves and things happen. So, you know, I be wanting them to focus on their craft yeah. versus worrying about the next girl and her craft. Because you know what? I like a little, I call it constructive shade. Like, uh-huh. if we can shade one another and be cool after it, but when it comes to bounce music, it seems like it's it gets intense. a little it gets a little intense. It's like, you know, intense. calling people out, it's calling real. people out about it's bodies. Real. It's real. Trust me. It gets intense, but I be so busy, I don't have time. Ain't nobody got time for that. No, no, hey, no. hey, hey. Ain't <laughs> nobody got time for that. It must have been hard growing up in New Orleans as a Black gay man who was a musician, what was that like growing up for you? And what era was that that you realized that you were gay? Well, I I realized I was gay early. Uh, I kind of knew before, you know, I even told my mom. I told my mom when I was like 12, but I knew before then. You know, it was rough growing up here in New Orleans, being Black and growing up in the community that I grew up in. It wasn't so accepted. You know, I had to fight with the people in the neighborhood. I had to fight with some of my boy cousins trying to, you know, me you know it just was like i was young i was still trying to find my way you know they felt like i was too young to know who i am and yeah all of that so over time things started getting more and more lighter once they saw that this is him it's not gonna change and i started to build more and more confidence my mom was my protector she protected me from everybody around me you know, if anybody wants to fight me, she'll be ready, you know, so. Yeah, re- stay um, ready. Stay ready. But, you know, just being on that journey, it just made me tougher. And it made me realize the strength that I needed to go through all of that to build who I am now. And so fighting with the boys in the neighborhood and my cousins and, you know, my stepdad and all the things that I had to go through, it just made me a tougher individual to be able to deal with the when it became bigger and, yeah. and have to deal with it with the world on a bigger scale and with strangers and people who I didn't grow up with or I didn't know and were, wasn't familiar with my community. You know, but once I learned that confidence and knew who I was and once mom accepted me, that was nothing nobody could tell me. Yeah. And, and, you know, I was just like, you know, forget the world. I'm about to do me. I'm going to be me. And I'm about to, you know, try to live my best life. And make these coins. That's right. Almost definitely that. We got to make these coins. It's so interesting because I feel like I grew up in the South too, but it seems like when you have an art form like music, you're able to express yourself and find yourself in its truest, truest form. What about Big Frida really helped you accept who you were? Because I'm sure Big Frida is a whole nother person. It is, because I'm Freddie in the daytime and I'm Frida when I hit the stage. Freaky Frida. Well, that's late night. (laughs) 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 So, you know, I have different, you know, dimensions I go into. (laughs) 
you know, I think just on my journey of all of this, it has been just, you know, hard work of of being consistent and staying focused on on the music. The music is what keeps the drive going. And I'm yeah. able to express my thoughts and what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling in the music and the pain and the hurt. You know, when I'm, you know, sometimes sad, I go in the studio, I make something fun and just lifts my whole spirit and lifts the spirit of other people. So, you know, when we're in certain fields in our lives and in the world, I think God chooses us for different things. And I think I was chosen to bring people joy and good vibes and good energy through music. And once I learned that, you know, because I come from gospel and once I learned yeah. how to transition my music to all of this feeling on stage, that that was the best thing that could have happened for me. And just to be able to have those moments to let it out sometime is a great thing to be a musician and to be able to express all of those things in so many different dimensions. I feel like a lot of your identity and your love and your passion comes out of the city of New Orleans. It does. And I can feel, I can feel Nola through the music. How did you not lose that love for the city or that spirit after Hurricane Katrina? You know, New Orleans is what helped build me and, and made me who I am. You know, born and raised here. You know, the, I, I breathe the culture here, the people, the food, the music, the love, the hurt, the pain, all yeah. of it. It comes from New Orleans. And, you know, when I'm traveling the world, I just want to bring a little piece of New Orleans to everybody else and give them a little touch of the great things and all of the things that we experience. It has been fun, you know, being the ambassador of Bounce Music and showing the world just how we poured it, you know, down here. Yeah. And you don't need much. Like if you got a if you got a microphone, one speaker. You gotta party. Cause I mean, we know how to party through everything. We we party through good times, you know, laughter and and births and deaths. We party through everything and to celebrate life. Yeah. And the people that in in our path of life. Um, so that's the good thing about New Orleans. This is a celebratory city and you know, whatever it is, we try to celebrate it and bring people joy. No, I read somewhere in 2005 when Hurricane Katrina hit that you slept on top of your roof for two days to survive. Well, I mean, we beat on the roof for like three days to get it open. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it, it, it was tough. I mean, imagine you punching a hole in the roof from the, the other side in the attic. It's not wow. like on top of the roof punching down where I have more control. I got to beat up to, to punch yeah. So we, we were taking turns, arms getting tired. You know, um, we had to be rescued by a boat. It was really rough. I slept on the, the bridge. We slept at the, you know, in front of the convention center for a few days until the buses came. Then we got flew on like this big old cargo plane to Arkansas, slept at campgrounds, then went to Shreveport, then went to Laplace, then moved to Texas, then wow. to New Orleans. Like, I went through a lot. My whole life changed, and it made me appreciate life. And, you know, material things didn't mean nothing to no one, and money didn't mean nothing to no one. I was just grateful to be alive and to be able to be with my family and get through the hard times, because it was a lot of hard times and a lot of hardships that we just was like, our whole lives were, like, destroyed, and we had to start all over. Let me ask you this question, because, you know, I was down the street in Baton Rouge, and sometimes you don't realize 
what it means when people say, I had to start my life over. Oh, you don't. And that's the same thing that for me, like once Katrina hit, I didn't realize what people that have tsunamis and all the different disasters around the world, what they really felt until I experienced it for myself and knew what it means to start life all over and to have to rebuild your city and your home and rebuild your family. You can't find family members. You know, you haven't talked to no one, no service. I like, I didn't know what all of that felt like until Katrina. And like I say, it changed my life. It made me appreciate every moment of life with just being alive and being with family and friends who we love because all of the material didn't mean nothing. No furniture, no money, no food. None of that didn't mean nothing. You hear me? Damn. And it's even crazier to think that there were people who didn't have anyone, not even the government or the city, to help them find a place to live. Did you ever experience or get mad at the fact that nobody was coming to lend a hand? I mean, we all were mad. You know, our mayor had to get on there and start cursing people out in order for them to start moving. And it was like, damn, the mayor really had to step up and start cursing them out in order for them to start moving to New Orleans and get the National Guard down here. Did you ever, in your wildest dreams, think that New Orleans was going to bounce back the way it did? Yeah, most definitely. I was out there promoting, get people to come back home, let them know we got to rebuild our city. I was also traveling, going to different clubs, performing, bringing a sense of home to people. Like, I was out there definitely doing my due diligence to make sure that we help rebuild the city. And when the city first opened back up, I was like one of the first people back up in the apartment complex that I stayed in. It was like, I was like number two on the list. So I was back here when it was still kind of dark in a lot of areas. You still smelt the stinky meat from from the refrigerators and you still saw all of the debris and confusion. And it it was just a mess. It was life-changing. You hear me? Yeah. People wouldn't believe it. It's all recorded. Like, I even called the radio station and they have the recording somewhere out there in the world. And, like, they play it, you know, every Katrina anniversary. You know, and like, who would have ever thought like Big Frida would have called way back then <laughs> and it'd be recorded and playing for the anniversary. So it has been, you know, it taught us some stuff here in New Orleans, though. It, it taught us that we can get through anything. We can rebuild our lives. And, and, and it wasn't so bad, though, to have a fresh new start at life and given a lot. It gave a lot of people new opportunities and chances to start their life. A lot of people needed a new life. Now, look, I'm a small personality in a big pond. You are a big personality in a small pond. How hard is it for you to date? Because I have a hard time finding dudes like this. You know what I mean? And I'm not even that bitch. I Listen, I'm in a relationship, been for 14 years, so that's not an issue. Oh, you got it at the ground floor. Yes. And when you met him, how did you know that he wasn't just into the big Frida of it all and not Freddie? I wasn't that that big yet. I was big in New Orleans, but it was like way back then. It wasn't nothing. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't nothing. Listen, it, <laughs> it, it was good. I knew it was good. Lady Gaga always says that every time she gets something bigger, she always loses a relationship because they can't handle it. 
how do you keep your relationship in check with all of these milestones in your career? Because, you know, you had formation, then peanut butter and all of the TV show and all of these moments. How do you keep your love intact? We fuss and we fight and we love each other and we move on. Look, New Orleans women, I'm telling y'all, New Orleans ladies are all the same. They're passionate. They're jealous. They're going to check your ass. They're going to read your phone. They're going to make you a plate after. They're going to make you a plate after. That's right. That's right. (laughs) It's It's a Southern girl thing. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I'm so amazed at like just the glow up of your life and of, you know, the success. And I know a lot of times people in our positions who, you know, grow up with nothing and all of a sudden have a lot. You see a lot of NFL players, you know, get it and lose it and spend it all. How do you keep yourself grounded when it comes to success and money? Um, you know, you try to keep the right people around you. You get people, a team of people to help you to make sure that you stay on the right track. And thank God for my manager and the people around me who try to, to make sure that, you know, Frida has money to eat later, you know, and it's, it's important because, you know, in this music business, we, we, if you don't set yourself up for retirement, there's no musician retirement uh, accounts going out on around yeah. unless you set up, up yourself. So we're just putting me into better positions where when I do decide to stop doing whatever I'm doing, I still have a way of life and a way to eat and make money and to survive and, and do what I need to do. Because I'm looking at this unit, honey, that closure, that lace, those <laughs> roots, like I know those wigs ain't cheap. They're not cheap. <laughs> we probably, probably, hair and makeup is probably the most expensive stuff dealing with artists. You got to keep looking good to be out there in all the different things that you do. So, But how do you as an artist, because I watch you, you are on top of everything. You're on top of costumes, on top of choreography, on top of hair and makeup. How do you let that go and let other people deal with it so you can focus on the craft? Because I know a lot of artists who can't let go of control and have a manager and have a publicist. How hard was that for you? Like I said, I had to start letting things go and letting other people handle it because you need a team of people to be successful. And, um, you know, I still be wanting to be involved. I just be wanting to be um, knowledgeable of what's going on and and what's happening, you know, just because it makes me feel like I'm doing my part as well. You know, being the artist, being involved, you know, staying on top of my at the end of the day is my business. So if my people are working, I want to work just as hard as them. Yeah. If if the boss is not working, you know what I'm saying, and you got everybody else doing everything, what the hell? You know, I, I got to work even harder. So what do you say to those haters that said that you would never make it? Because I am sure there were people when you were climbing up that ladder that told you that some sissy ass gay man from New Orleans wasn't going to make it because that's how they like to do you in the South. <laughs> Well, you know, for me, it was just grinding. It, it was never, I'll never entertain not making it because one way or another, I was going to figure out a way to keep making money. And that's my focus. 
Yeah. As long as I'm able to survive and take care of myself, that's the biggest thing. And and for those people, I just kept on doing something different and something new where they couldn't keep up with me. Like, damn, she doing this now. So I didn't have time to worry about what they were thinking. I was thinking about my next bag. <laughs> for sure. Who was it? Like, what was that artist for you that made you love music this much? Because there is a sound in your voice when you sing, and there's this energy that comes off of you when you're on stage I mean, that lets me know that you love it. I think there's so many artists that plays a part in that, from growing up as a child to listening to Michael Jackson, Prince, Patti LaBelle, Frankie Beverly and Mays, the OJs. I mean, just a variety of people, you know, who have helped the world just through all of their, their struggles and their happy times. And, you know, so as a kid, my mom and them loved music. We, you know, we listened to music every time we were cleaning the house. You know, I was into gospel music. My friend was more into R&B and hip hop. So like me and him were like exchange music music, and we were like have sessions where I teach him gospel. He teach me, you know, so it was always I was always musically involved with people around me. You know, ain't no party without music. Ain't no party without music. And by the way, you already know Sundays in the park after church was where the music all happened. Yes, really, though. It always was just music around. And I think just my love for music just come from, you know, being in New Orleans and it being a party city. And, you know, every time it's time to have fun at somebody break up a DJ or a speaker and, you know, here, here go to party. Please tell me you used to do this as a kid. I had a sister and she would get a just for me, which is like a perm. And you would take the tape out of the just for me because they would give you a little tape and it would sing a song. Uh-huh. But what you could do is rewind the tape and yeah. then you can record, you would record your favorite songs, you know, from your stereo. If you had one of those good stereos you and you would right make a mixtape. Yes, you'd you make a mixtape. right tape. over it. Yeah, <laughs> I used to do all that with my mom and them stereo system. And then we had the big one with the big speakers. I used to have the house jumping because I would rearrange the house just about every week because I love to decorate. So my mom would come home and say, well, what the hell you done done in the house? Got the music bumping and they're rearranging. <laughs> 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 Trying to figure out how to, how to do a new interior design. <laughs> oh my God, you must have hooked it up every month. I know like every week I was trying something new. Girl, we gonna move <laughs> it through for this way. We gonna move it that way. <laughs> I remember as a kid, I used to get teased a lot because when I was growing up, it was DJ Jubilee and walking like a dog and monkey on a stick. And my girlfriends would dance and I would get so hyped. I would dance with them and I would do the dance moves. That's when I know people started assuming that I was gay Uh and the, the boys made fun of me. But I remember one time my dad saw me and I didn't realize he was sitting there and he saw me. And the look on his face was so, he was so disappointed in me. I couldn't believe it. It stuck with me for the rest of my life. I was maybe eight or nine years old, but I think music kind of showed me who I was in my own right, in my own respect, but it actually outed me in a sense because people saw that I was a little gay boy because I like to dance with the girls. I'm telling you, same way here. And like when we was at the the middle school dances and the high school dances, I would start flipping on the wall. I'm with the girls twerking. That was your life. Yes. I didn't care either. I had fun. 
You know, for me, I always thought I got to get the f out of here because there's no way I can be myself in this place. Was that ever your thought that you wanted to move to another city or was New Orleans the only place for you? No, I, I actually, yeah, um, you know, I left for college. I went to USL in Lafayette. So I just wanted to get away from New Orleans and start experiencing new stuff and get away from the city. My mom, like, you getting the hell out of here. Ain't nothing down here. <laughs> you know, you, you could always come back here. And I was so excited to go away and um, just see a new environment, new things and learn new stuff. So I went to USL where I, where I was studying for nursing. And, um, you know, I came back home maybe three years later and uh, continued at Delgado. But New Orleans has always been home. I didn't ever want to really relocate nowhere permanently. But, you know, going back and forth to school, I, yeah. I had a blast with it. Was there ever a concert venue or a city where you were like, I cannot believe these people are paying me this amount of money to come here. I don't even know if they're going to know this music. Oh, there's been lots of those moments, especially when I, you know, first started growing even bigger and like going to different countries and, and different places that I had never been. And then my manager called and be like, oh, I got you a gig for this much. And I'd be like, for real? And <laughs> I never even heard of that shit. Where is it on the map? Somewhere over there. Hey, you What's know, the craziest country you ever been to? What's like the craziest country you ever been to? I'll sing it, bitch. I mean, <laughs> Estonia is probably the craziest place I've been. And I, when I tell you, the crowd was unbelievable. The kids were screaming in Holland like no other place I've ever been to. You know, they bring in an artist, I guess, every so often because it's just like in the middle of nowhere and like the whole little town come. Yes. When I tell you, these children cut up so bad. They were bowing, screaming. It 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 was it was nothing like it. I've and they knew the words. They knew the words. Like they were twerking and everything. Like they did their homework. This to me is the craziest thing. When you go to another country that yeah. does not speak your native tongue, much less your native yeah. dialect of Nantwart. But know your words. And know your words, that must have been a surreal experience. Yeah, it is all the time. That's what I'm saying. Well, like when I go to a different country and like somebody, I'm walking up the street and somebody be like, oh my God, you're a big freedom. You know, it's just be like, damn, you wait in Paris and somebody know you, you know, you don't expect that. That's the power of music. And that's the power of personality that sometimes I think people don't understand, especially when you're in it. Like, you uh -huh. don't get how powerful you are as a person. I don't try to use my power. I just continue to be me and to do what I love to do, and that's make music and make people have a great time. You know, I'm always walking around in every city, and people be like, oh, Big Frida just walked by me. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm not, <laughs> you never know where you might see me at, you know? And I wonder if you have noticed this, because I think sometimes, again, we don't realize our impact do you understand your impact when it comes to gender identity and being able to express yourself? Because a lot of people out there, especially from the South, never had anyone to look up to to make them feel comfortable with that. And you were doing that. Oh, yeah, most definitely. I, I, I definitely, like I say, when I think we are chosen to do certain things in the world, you know, and that's another gift of mine to be able to to break the norm and to 
let people accept who they are and from my journey and where I come from that that's why you know I advise people to read my book and see the struggles and adversities that I face but I continue to be myself and I continue to be real and be unapologetic for being my true self and I get all kinds of DMs all the time of how I changed their life what an impact I've had on their life. They came out to their family because of me. Their mom relationship got closer with their mom and my mom. You know, so I get lots and lots of DMs and and people giving me messages of what impact I've done for them and how I've changed their lives. And I just want to continue to, you know, just be myself and, you know, let my 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 light shine and for people to be able to use borrow a little bit of my light and hopefully it lightens up their world what was the hardest part of the book to write and to let out into the world because i know you hit on a lot of very hard things in this book probably the hardest thing for me was probably just the relationship with me and my stepdad because it wasn't so um nice and just having to relive those moments and express those feelings and what I went through and how he treated me, uh, it was just really rough. You know, he didn't treat me like any of the other, my other siblings or his his own kids. I just had a tough time to deal with, you know, um, that. And when I revisit that again, it just was a weird, weird place. And also, you know, just personal, just being that personal was weird. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Really just telling some of the things that I've experienced in my life and all of the things that I've, you know, kind of went through, all of it was really weird, you know, not ever writing a book and then coming out with a book of, of, of my journey, you know, but when I signed up, I know I had to do what I had to do. But for me, it all was weird. A lot of this shit would be weird when right? not used when you relive it. To. Yeah. When, especially when you relive it though, you know, um, I just came out with a documentary and that was probably one of the toughest pieces of film work that I've ever had to do in my life thus far with the death of my brother and, you know, my mom being on it and she has passed away. And so it's just a really rough piece of of footage, but it is so well necessary and much needed for the the community Community. and gun, gun violence and what's going on in New Orleans and in America and helping the young black boys up you know, what they're facing. And so it was much ne- needed. And uh, through all of it, I just keep praying and pushing that I God give me the strength to do these things that I need to do to try to keep changing the world. Your mom died of cancer, correct? Yes. What a blessing was it for you, for her to make it long enough to see the world celebrate you in yeah. this way? Like, what was it like being able it, to it was- share that? It was beautiful. You know, I still wish she was here so she could have saw all the different milestones and just all of the things. Because, you know, it was getting there as she was going through her sickness. You know, I saw it blowing up in 2010. She got sick in 2010. She was with me until 2014. And, you know, since 2014, I have done many, many things, many, many milestones that I wish she was here to call on the phone and say, Mama, you know, I did a song with Beyonce. I did a song with Drake. I've been here. I've traveled there. I've done this. I've, you know. Yeah. You know, it's really, you know, it it gets really weird and it gets really tough. And I be, you know, she's right there on side of me as as it's, you know, as I'm doing it and she's making it happen with me. Damn, it's all happening. Yes. Now, when you were going through this moment with the book, 
Were there things that you had suppressed that you didn't even think about for years that came back to you? Well, of course, though, we had moments like that. Riding with my publicist in a car and me telling her the stories and where I grew up and some of the stuff that had happened in the house and, and the memories in the neighborhood. It's sometimes they get a little, it's like they get shocked. Like they can't believe uh, that yeah. these things happen. And it's almost like, <gasps> yeah, especially when I took her to where I was shot at, you know, that just all that I had suppressed all of that, you know, being shot, I, trying to forget it. And, the moments would happen and dealing with all of that. So all of that had to be brought back up and taking that ride in that neighborhood was really rough and just replaying it. And all of this stuff was rough, you know, just reliving my whole childhood experience. You know, some things was fun to laugh at. Some things was not so fun to laugh at. Um, and it just was like, damn. Bitch, you got shot? Yes. <laughs> you got motherfucking shot? Yes, you got to read the book. <laughs> when the f*** you got shot? <laughs> How long ago was this? Right before Katrina. What the f***? Do you know who shot you? Mm-hmm. I do. Do you say it in the book? No. Oh, beca- oh, you're not, you didn't want to go. You got to watch the documentary now. Free to Got a Gun is the documentary on Peacock. It's out right now, right? Yes. You guys... You got to pick up the book, Big Frida, God Save the Queen Diva. It is out now wherever you get your books. I'm going to get this book because I already know Big Frida goes there in this book. Oh, my God. I'm so happy you were here. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I appreciate it. Vanessa, we're bringing <laughs> Vanessa back. There was some I learned and yeah. I'm from Louisiana. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I think it's really interesting to hear still the impact of like Katrina and what similar stories and like what everyone's gone through and like the intensity of what she went through, you know, with her family during Katrina. It it was it's just so mind blowing. And I feel like no one can begin to understand it unless you lived it, unless you lived it. Right. But but also like you almost don't understand the impact you know, this has been 15 years. Right. It probably took Frida 15 years to figure out what that meant to her family and how it affected her. Because when you almost die and when you lose everything that you've ever known, you almost have to put yourself in neutral. You can't look at, you know, the signs and say, okay, this is where I am right now. You got to put yourself in autopilot and learn how to survive. Obviously, I've never even had to go through a single hurricane, let alone a Katrina, you know? I mean, obviously we have earthquakes in California and we have different, you know, things like that, but I just can't even imagine what that was like. And I think that that's true for any major catastrophe, right? Like when you are not living it and you're just seeing it like through the news or images, it's like you never grasp what it really feels like. No, not at all. The other thing which is really interesting is Growing up in New Orleans, we used to drive to go see Big Frida in New Orleans, and it was mm-hmm. a big deal. Like, you know, Big Frida was the thing. So mm-hmm. when she came to the Echoplex in L.A., I took a few friends, and I thought in my mind, oh, it's not going to be crazy because it's Lo- Los Angeles. No one probably knows who Big Frida is, so let me just buy these tickets and let's go 10 minutes before the concert started. When I tell you this place was packed with people 
who are ready to just have a good time of mm-hmm. all races, all genders, all backgrounds. It was it was the craziest thing I've experienced. Yeah, yeah. I love that you said that you're for, you had snuck in at 14 to see the first her first concert. It was awesome. And you know, it's times like these where I'm grateful that I have just a sip where I can bring these really unbelievable stories to people who have not only persevered, but really worked. Right. Worked. Like this person has worked his ass off Mm -hmm. to become the person that he is today, to be recognized by big, by, by RuPaul, to be recognized by Beyonce on one of the most talked about tracks of our generation, like formation, Everybody has quoted formation yeah. in some, you know, instance in their lives from the last four years. Like we all remember where we were when we heard that first. She came to slay, bitch. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I think like what you're saying, I love that she was saying that like the inspiration behind like the gender, I, the gender identity and like the, the message and the teaching and the learning and, and, and her role in um, society and like how important it's been, right? For sure, because you know, a lot of times when you're, um, when you're a gay, when you, I'm gonna say homosexual. Okay. When you're a young homosexual <laughs> trying to figure out who you are, mm-hmm. a lot of times we overcompensate. We either overcompensate and we try to be too straight because mm-hmm. we wanna hide it or we overcompensate and we become a caricature because we want to make people laugh or we want to make people, you know, we want to disarm people from what we really are. And I think a lot of times we become one or the other and we don't really become our true selves. What I love about Big Frida was the music, the crowds, the adoration that she got, let her be her true self. Mm-hmm. It let Freddie become the person that he was always meant to become. Right. And I don't think without the music that Freddie would be rolling around New Orleans as a nurse, being able to be who he truly was, which is Big Frida. Right. That's true. And you said you had very similar experiences growing up in the South being, you know, black gay men. Yeah. But let me let you know something. Frida had it 10 times harder than me. I did not grow up in New Orleans. Right. The people that I knew that grew up in New Orleans that I was family friends with were rough and they were tough because they had to be. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up in the same town with the same people. In New Orleans, you're growing up, it's like Los Angeles. Like you can say, oh, I grew up in LA. Well, what part? Because there are different right. territories and right. you got to fight in your own home, much less you know, fight, you know, with other people. It's like, a, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Like he's been fighting his cousins, different family members, kids in the neighborhood, just like getting through that to the point where then his mother, like, then started like, you know, sticking up for him, which I thought was beautiful and really cool. It's, it's a lot. And I, I really hope that we don't stop handing Frida her roses with this Beyonce thing. Like, I think as an artist, if you have never heard a big Frida song, I suggest that you Google and watch a video of her performances because the music does and will give you what you need, but it's watching it live and watching people come alive and watching the experience happen to people. That's what it's all about. And not every artist on the radio has that. Mm -mm, Definitely not. You guys, that was another Just a Sip. Rate, review, subscribe to this. 
And don't forget to tell a friend and let us know if you like something, if you think something's working, leave it in the comments. This is the holidays. So let's get some jolly in here and we'll see you next week. I love you guys. <laughs>